listening to the Embassy Church Podcast. And here is today's message. Father, we truly say that is our heart's cry. We open up our hearts to you now. We say, have your way in us. Our desire is to go deeper. Our desire is to know you better. To represent you better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We throw our fears into the wind. Father, I just lift up this service to you today, and I just pray over all of us today. And I thank you, Father, for your wonderful love. I thank you for your wonderful peace. I thank you, Father, that your desire is to impart revelation to us and Lord I pray that it would not be my thoughts but it would be your thoughts that would flow through me today I pray you calm my beating heart I pray that my tongue would be like the pen of a ready writer I pray Holy Spirit that you flow through me And I pray that your will be done in Jesus' name. And if you want to give me the Jesse Duplantis anointing that I asked for, you can do that too. Sadly, I don't think that's going to come, but who knows? (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus. I texted Megan this morning. I said, you know, I don't... No, I think you need to get your butt back here. And she says, not a chance, not a chance. I could not talk her out of coming out of her holiday to come back here. So I'm afraid you're stuck with me. And uh, (laughs) can we have the house lights on, please? Praise you, Jesus. That was a wonderful song lineup. Every song spoke to me. All right, we can do this. We can do this, amen? All right. Um, When I asked the Lord what he wanted me to speak on, um, he brought me back to a verse that has been a pillar in the foundation of my Christianity, of my walk with him. And in reflecting on the times that we're living in, you know, you all know that we've been through times of adversity. COVID was not an easy situation. Um, But when I spend time with the Lord, I sense that, you know what, we're, we're still in and going to be facing times of adversity in the future. And you know, John 16 verse 13 says, whoever when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. When we walk in close fellowship with the Lord, that's truly what does happen. He will prepare us. 
I will never forget, you know, six years ago, the Lord kept saying to me, you need to get out of debt. You need to get out of debt. You need to get out of debt. And so he prepares you. If you will listen, he will prepare you and make a way for you. Amen? That's not the scripture though. I'm just, it's my prologue. It's me trying to find the stream here. The scripture that he gave was Proverbs 24 verse 10. In the Amplified, it says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Um, many other versions, and I'm not going to list which version they are, but I just want to say them just for the sake of giving a little bit of a different picture to it. It says, if you slack off in a day of distress, your strength is small indeed. Don't give up and be helpless in times of trouble. If you fail to act in the day of trouble, your strength is too little. If you faint in a crisis, you are weak. The Living Bible says you are a poor specimen if you can't stand the pressure of adversity. Jeez, I'm just coming out of the gate hot, aren't I? <laughs> the message, if you failed to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Ouch. The NIV, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? So yes, it really does paint a good picture of the fact that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The definition of faint in the Strong's is out of the word rafa. It means to slacken, abate, cease, to be faint, to be feeble, forsake, idle, leave, let alone, let down, slack, stay, be still. It means, it, it kind of gives the whole um, picture of your sinking, that you're relaxing, you're, you're drawing back, you're letting drop, you're becoming disheartened, you abandon or you withdraw. In um, Joshua, it's interesting because the Israelites, you know, um, maybe not all of you know the story, but the Israelites were in a time of captivity in Egypt and then the Lord uh, delivered them brought them through the wilderness, they went through times of adversity, and then he brought them into the promised land. And it's interesting because in Joshua 18, some time had passed, and they'd been in the promised land, they had come through the time of slavery, they'd come through the time of wilderness, uh, where they had to do without, they'd been in the promised land, and they'd been there for some time, but it's interesting, Joshua 18 verse 3 says, Joshua asked the Israelites, how long will you be slack, and that's that word rafa, to go in to possess the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? And so, Joshua's given them a rebuke because when they got into a time of ease, they let go. They, they loosened up their perseverance. It was complacency and laziness that caused them to draw back and to let go. And so I really sense today that the Lord is saying, we need to be careful that we do not slacken draw back or let go. Um, I'm going to go over to Job. Job is an interesting book and I kind of go over there with fear and trembling because it's not the easiest book. In fact, it's a very complex book. Uh, it's the oldest book of the Bible. 
um, Victor Hugo was regarded as the greatest French writer of all time. And this is what he had to say about the book of Job. He called it the greatest masterpiece of the human mind. It is really interesting in that it begins and ends with prose and then in the middle it is full of Hebrew poetry. It's got the comparison of ideas and so it's a it's written in a very complex fashion and of course the subject matter is very complex as well. Um, Job was a real person. He's mentioned in Ezekiel and also in James. Initially, we would think that it's a book about suffering, but Job is far more than that. If it was a book just about suffering, then the question or the problem is actually never answered. So I want to draw something out of here. Let's go to James 5, verse 11. It says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That phrase, the end intended by the Lord, is really interesting because it's, it's saying it's the end to which all things relate the aim and the purpose. So Job was a very definite, there was a definite purpose to why he was in the Bible. There was a definite purpose to why Job had to walk through the things that he did. That was caused by the Lord. Amen. Job 1, and I'm going to read Job. It's a little bit lengthy, um, but I feel like we need it for the context of where I'm going. Job 1, in the New Living Translation, said, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. That's a phrase I want you to hear. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Job's sons would take turns feasting in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. It's really interesting because it gives the connotation of that there was a close, familial, um, they had close fellowship, close relationships, and they knew how to party. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, I think they really knew how to party. Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So it's interesting because it indicates that Job was very disciplined. Very disciplined in his relationship with the Lord and he took care of the small details. The other thing that I really recognize is that Job knew that our greatest 
spiritual stress is not when we're going through trials, but it's actually when things are going well for us. And I would have to say that when the Lord gave me the scripture, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small, I'll never forget that time. This is going back to 1992 now. This is a ways away. But before that time, I had gone through a time of extreme poverty, like extreme poverty. Um, we had to rely on my parents for food. We were married, but we had to rely on my parents for food. We didn't have a vehicle. We had to borrow their vehicle. I mean, we we would take, you know, $2 and, and put it into the oil tank and we had no heat in our house. We had to rely on this little kitchen wood stove for heat, you know. And um, some of you who have been around for a long time have heard that story. But when the scripture came to me about if you faint of a day of adversity, your strength is small, it was actually at a time when things were going very well. We had come into a time of prosperity. We had just bought our first home. We had money rolling in so we were able to buy so many things that we never had before and it was really um, it was really a prosperous time so but let's carry on it's just a thought one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser Satan came with them where have you come from the Lord asked Satan Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. Did you notice that? It's interesting because in the past when I've heard Job preached, um, in chapter 5, it talks about the fact that the thing that Job greatly feared had come upon him. And I've heard it preached that it was because Job f greatly feared something that he opened the door to the suffering and the adversity that he had, that he had, um, had to walk through. But I see a different picture here. I see God pointing something out to Satan. It's almost like it's a setup. God's calling attention to a quality and character and something that he admires and loves. So he pointed Job out to Satan. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection round about him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take everything away that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. Interesting, that accusatory tone coming towards the Lord. So I find it interesting that Satan's actually calling attention and trying to say that Job is being self-serving. I think that that's Satan's character, is it not? So, let me just say this. If I can read this, because I highlighted it in green and now I can't see it. Megan should have given me instructions on how to do this on an iPad. 
Um, if or let me say it this way there may be a satanic source to your suffering or your adversity but we must remember something through the cross the saving blood of Jesus there is a scripture that says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world so even if there is a satanic component to any type of adversity or suffering or trial that you're walking through fear not for the Lord has you and the Lord has made a way for you amen um, so we go on in the story all right you may test him the Lord said to Satan do whatever you want with everything he possesses but don't harm him physically so Satan left the Lord's presence is it interesting that even Satan has boundaries that he must adhere to under the Lord's command and instruction there is nothing too hard for the Lord so okay I'm gonna skip I'm gonna read really fast okay this is speed reading if I can do it um, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived at this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with the news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed all your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their older brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. I don't know about you, but if I suffered five blows simultaneously, one after the other, and all of my children were killed, I would be collapsing. So, but let's look at Job's response to this. Everything he has has been wiped out in the space of what? An hour? Everything. All of his wealth, his family, he has his wife. His response, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. He said, I come naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. What a phenomenal response to adversity and suffering. Of course, we know this, it doesn't end there. But in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So what does it mean then to be blameless? What is the biblical definition of blameless? Being blameless in the Bible means to be innocent of wrongdoing and without guilt. It means that you are without blame. When the word blameless is mentioned in the scripture, 
It is always the result of someone following God in close relationship. Job said in chapter 27, verse 6, My uprightness and my right standing with God, I hold fast and I will not let them go. Again, this is that same word, Rapha, but it's held in, it's, it's, it's stated in the positive sense, not in the negative sense. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days and it shall not reproach me as long as I live. So this we see then, Job is blameless, but he's not sinless. It's really interesting. Um, and this is the revelation that I got out of it this week, because I don't think I've ever seen it before. We cannot equate blameless. Sorry, let me say that again. Hang on. Better not stray too far from my notes here. Job is blameless, not sinless. So here is the point I'm trying to make. We cannot equate adversity with sin. And just to back that up even further, there is the story of the man that was born blind in John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. So I want to present something to you today. Could it be that adversity, trials, sufferings are allowed by God so that his nature, his character, his power, his glory could be revealed in us? Amen? So how can I be blameless before God? In Genesis, let's look at two more examples. Genesis 6 verse 9 in the Amplified. Noah was a just and righteous man, blameless in his evil generation. Noah walked in habitual fellowship with God. There again, we see blameless is connected with close fellowship. Genesis 17 verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Interesting. It's actually an instruction from the Lord to Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless. Um, God Almighty, the name God Almighty, is translated out of the, the um, name El Shaddai. And the root of El Shaddai indicates and, and gives the impression of the might of God over the frailty of man. So when you're walking through adverse times, call on God Almighty because his might 
right? We remember the scripture, when I am weak, he is strong. Um, in Genesis in particular, it says that when it was used, it was used because they had particular need. They were, the people were being hard pressed and they needed assurance. It's always so wonderful when we go to the word, we see that God is always willing to meet us where we're at. He's, he's, his hand's not too short that he cannot save. His ear's deaf that he cannot hear. He is there. He's always wanting to walk with us through all these things. So, our God reminds of reminds us of who he is to us amen um, so how can we be blameless because it says in Romans that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God now we know that the cross happened so that we could be cleansed from all unrighteousness and made in right standing with him amen but in Psalm 26 David gives us a few clues as to how we can walk blameless. He writes, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your, un, on your faithfulness. So this is interesting because again, we can see that blameless is not sinless because we know that David sinned. I mean, let's face it, he coveted another man's wife, he arranged for the murder of a guy, and um, you know, elsewhere in Psalms he says, you know, hide your face from my sins, he pleads and blot out all my iniquity, create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So we know that David knew that he was not sinless, but he's got the assurance to come before God and state, I am blameless, examine me, God. I, I love it because it indicates a close relationship that he had with the Heavenly Father. It indicates that he walked in an assurance of who he was and who his father was to him. Amen? So, three qualities of the blameless. The blameless trust in the Lord. And this is huge. This is everything. Hebrews 10 verse 35 was another foundational scripture that came shortly after that the one of do not faint in the day of adversity for your strength is small. And this one says, do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence for it carries great and glorious compensation of reward. That's the one that I got. But I want to point it out in the Living Bible because I like how it brings out the phrase of do not let this happy trust in the Lord die away no matter what happens remember your reward you need to keep on patiently doing God's will if you want him to do for you all that he has promised 
His coming will not be delayed much longer, and for those whose faith has made them good in God's sight, must live by faith, trusting Him in everything. In your time of adversity, in your time of trials and tests, you may not have all the answers. Job didn't have all the answers. But he still trusted. He still clung fast to a belief that there was a greater purpose as to why he was walking through it. There is a greater purpose. Um, the next thing Oh, I want to finish this last thought. Trusting him in everything. Otherwise, if they shrink back, God will have no pleasure in them. I want to encourage you today. I want you to say to yourself, I want to be proud of who God made me to be. I would, I need to be careful how I say this. Because I'm not sure I would want God to say to Satan, have you seen Joan? <laughs> okay, you get my drift though, right? I want God to be proud of me. I want to stand before the Heavenly Father one day and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have persevered to the end. Amen? Okay. Um, David knew, even in his biggest sins, he ran to God. He didn't run away from Him. And you know, I've got to be honest with you, this is something that I've really struggled with in the past. That when I sinned, you know, the guilt and the condemnation with, I so struggled. I came out of a church that was really works orientated. And it, and it just dogged me. And even though I knew that that was not right, it, it just was something that, you know, was, it was a hindrance that I had to work through. And so, I had to fight that fear to run away from God when I sinned or when I, you know, royally messed up. But David, so David's just always been such a wonderful example to me, to run to him. And I think that's really what I'm endeavoring to try to bring across today, is that, that blameless and sinless are two different things. We have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. We do have a position with our Heavenly Father. Jesus sits at the right hand, ever making intercession for us. Do you realize that? That Jesus' primary position today is that He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. Isn't that wonderful? That should make you feel loved should fuel your jets. Um, okay. The when we have sinned, we need to run, repent, and release to renew our relationship. Then we are restored 
and we are revived. We are back in close fellowship with him. Guard that, guard that close relationship. Don't let sin, repent, put it under the blood, get back into close fellowship with him. The second point is the blameless are mindful of God's unfailing love. The blameless don't trust in their own righteousness. We know the scripture where it says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just a little bit of your heart, all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. So that would be probably one of the biggest things I would encourage you as well is when you're walking through adversity, trials, suffering, you probably are not going to understand everything. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that you won't. What the Lord is looking for you to do is to trust him in it. And most often when you have walked through it, he gives you his perspective on why you had to walk through that. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Great love. Okay, third point, the blameless live in reliance on God's faithfulness. David talks many times about God's unfailing love and faithfulness. And that's the one thing that we need to keep in mind is that people will let you down. Many times they don't want to, but people will let you down. And so your faith, your faith absolutely cannot be hinged on people. It must be completely built on the Lord, his faithfulness, his love, his righteousness, because he will not let you down. And on that note, I'm gonna say um, that with Job, because I don't wanna leave that resolved, and of course there's way more to Job than I can ever touch on, but you know, in the end, Job, the Lord answered Job and he restored double of everything that he had lost. Double. He was already the richest man in all the area, had wonderful children. He restored that all to Job. Amen? Psalms 86 is another I want to present how David was looking at God's faithfulness. He said, oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. In other words, their behavior is unrestrained. They're not, they're not motivated by your laws and your commands. But you, oh Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and are filled when with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength 
to your servant. I love it because it just shows that David had a relationship where he recognized in the times that he was weak, he needed God's strength. Amen. So I want to encourage you. You know, Job's friends, the three, the three friends that make up the bulk of the book assumed that it was Job's sin that got him into trouble. And for those of you who have not read Job, um, God was quite angry with those three friends. And he instructed Job to intercede and pray for them to plead for God's mercy. So I want to encourage you, don't be like Job's friends. Don't assume that your friend's adversity or suffering is as a result of sin or of judgment, right? As the body of Christ, we are called to encourage those who are down. We are called to strengthen those who are weak and we are to comfort anyone who is afflicted. I think it's so important in this day and hour that we're walking through because many of you may not be walking through trials or sufferings or adversity, but I'm pretty sure that you have somebody in your circle that is. And I think it's so important in the body of Christ that we stay banded together, supporting one another. I think it's huge for the days ahead. That's what the Lord is looking for. Interesting, and I don't have time to develop it because I am making sure that I am staying on target. But the word blameless in the Greek means spotless and unblemished. And what is the Lord coming back for? What is his bride supposed to be? Spotless and unblemished. Isn't that interesting? So, I'm going to leave you with this thought. And I know I'm probably not wrapping this up very well because we could go into what the strength of the Lord is, the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's so many different scriptures that can talk about strength. But let me encourage you in this. The Lord has his church. That is a gathering together of people. My heart is so for the advancement of the kingdom and my heart has really hurt because the amount of people that have fallen away from following Jesus through suffering and trials and adversity has really grieved me. And so the body of Christ is something that I hold very dear to my heart. It is, it is so important to me that we support one another, that we encourage one another, that we lift each other up because life is tough enough on its own. 
without having support of people who love you and people who care for you. And so I just really wanted to encourage you to recognize that God made a way for his kingdom to advance and it's necessary for all of us to do our part. Amen. Okay, I'm going to leave you with this scripture, John 14, verse 25, because to me, this is everything. But the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, Holy Spirit is everything, is everything. Whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus speaking, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things and he will help you remember everything that I have told you. Holy Spirit is so vital in our lives. Don't go a day without talking to Holy Spirit. He needs to be your best friend. You need to be talking to him all the time because he leads you and guides you, shows you the things that are to come. He strengthens you. He's your advocate. He goes before you. He makes a way. He causes you to remember promises and scriptures. He reminds you of God's love. He lifts you up when you are feeling down. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm gonna close with this. Oh, I wanted to point this out. In the message of that scripture, it says, I am leaving you well and whole. That is my parting gift to you. This is Jesus in talking about giving us the Holy Spirit. Peace, I don't leave you the way that you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset, don't be distraught. Of course, he's talking about when he's leaving the earth and then presenting Holy Spirit to help us. He gives us peace. Amen. So Father, I just lift up the word to you today and I just thank you, Father, that you go before and you make the crooked path straight. Lord, I pray and I decree Philippians 2 verse 14 over us all. I pray that we would do everything without grumbling or arguing so that we could become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then your word says that we will shine among them like stars in the sky as we hold firmly to the word of life. So I decree that today, Lord, that we would hold firmly to the word of life and that we would shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. May your power flow through us. May your love flow through us. May your peace flow through us. And above all, Lord, we thank you for the joy. For the joy of the Lord is our strength and we are strengthened in you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.